But it's one thing I love more than getting my pitch over the plate. And that is getting over this plate in Casa Ole. It's like a fiesta in Casa Ole. Casa Ole, fresh today, every day. You get a free child's play, we use ticket stuff from any Astros game. Casa Ole, fresh today, Ole, every day. Casa Ole, Ole! It's Lima time time! I'm James. Pat, Pat is not here. Uh, Pat, I don't know where Pat is. Pat might be in a, in a drunken stupor after Zlatan got his head stepped, or stepped on a guy's head. Uh, from Man United yesterday. So I don't know where he is. Hopefully he's back around this evening uh, for our regular episode. This is a bonus episode, the first bonus episode of the second season of Lima Time Time. Sponsored, as always, by Bravado Spice. We have a special guest, uh, and it's not just me. It is uh, former Astros beat writer and current Boston Red Sox beat writer, Evan Drellick. Evan, how you doing? I'm doing good. I, I didn't expect... Astros, Astros fans and or the Astros community would still want to talk to me. So this is, this is quite a thrill. No, you're a, you're a cult hero. So you you achieved, especially when you after, when you went after Darren Rovell. Like that was that was it. Like that's when I I I was in love. That's that's all there is to it. So. Did he did he do something to the Astros community at one point, or is it just his general being that annoys? Yeah, you and everybody else. It's his general Rovellness that I I I can't stand him. He's got he's the worst. So he's he's the guy that'll that yeah. he's the guy that'll talk about the financial impact of like a team's plane crash, you know, and all of them die. Like he'd be like, you know, they they lost, they freed up, you know, X million dollars in salary, even though they all died. He's just the worst, right? Right. What's yeah. your experience yeah. with him, other than calling him out on Twitter, which was awesome? I, I don't, I'm trying to remember what it was a couple of years ago. You know what? The Kansas City Star. There was somebody at the Houston Chronicle. Uh, Jeff Patterson, who left for the Kansas City Star, and when they won the World Series, he, being Ravel, used the KC Stars image on Twitter, <laughs> as though, you know, in the same way he always does, as though it was, it was his own, and he responded by saying, well, you know, earlier in the day I tweeted and gave credit to it, and it's like, it's just not how it works, right? There's kind of a accepted standard of, of how you should credit people and link to the original content that you are using in your tweet and he just seems to avoid that at all costs and I, and I don't get it i almost think it's like at this point he's doing it just because you, you can't go back now if you're him you've been doing this <laughs> so long but I, I wish he would yeah he's god he's awful i hate him so much uh and that's not even <clears throat> that's not even your your first run-in with uh, with with other media types, uh, can you? I, so the, I listen. I actually listened to it, and I've never listened to the. Is it Callahan and Minahan? Is or whatever? Uh, uh, yeah, Kirk and Callahan. Is Kirk the, and the Callahan. Yes. Title of that program. Yeah. I've I've never I'd never listened to them before. I I sort of know who they are because just just because. But but and I'll well, I'll put a, a a link to the to the audio. But but that was that was very entertaining. I don't listen to sports talk radio. I, I just I don't I'll, I'll I'll sort of keep it to podcasts and and that's about it. But can, how did that Probably better off? That was heated. That was amazing. Like I I'm one of those guys that I proj- when when in an uncomfortable situation like I'll take on the anxiety and I was a nervous wreck for 40 minutes. So so can <laughs> can you talk and and again if if no if no one's heard it then it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. But it seemed to me like it was it, it was. 
sort of the essence of, of sports and how to cover sports, and you've got two sort of loudmouth radio guys that uh, th- that's their job is to overreact, and, and it's it's all about sound bites. On the other side, you've got print journalists that there's a there's a, a desire for credibility and, and complete coverage of a team. Is is that sort of how that debate shaped up? Yeah, I think in a, in a, in a really sim- simplistic way. Although, as I've explained at certain points, you know, my job at the Herald is more of a pseudo columnist reporter role. You know, at, at the Chronicle, there were times where I would write opinion pieces, and they, they usually would be delineated by having my last name in front of them. But I, I think all across the map, you're seeing the, the line of analysis and opinion, and kind of straight up reporting and sports being blended. But the, the backstory here is that. Whereas there are some in Houston who I'm sure thought I was too critical. When I got to Boston, this this radio program, and one host in particular, was kind of painting the Red Sox beat writers with a broad stroke of being non-critical and being in the pocket of the manager. And and this uh, struck me as as very untrue. Now, maybe it's true for some, but to, to kind of paint all of us with one stroke seemed very unfair to me. And I went on with them once, and we kind of argued this out a little bit, and that was over the phone. The problem with the show like that is when there's a lot of yelling, they can drown you out over the phone. So yeah. the way this, this developed was they were in spring training for a week because they're the flagship radio station of the Red Sox, which might surprise you considering how critical they are, but it's almost refreshing. Um, <laughs> they were down there. They had John Farrell in there. I tweeted out a, a basically every question they asked, I kind of uh, mockingly – uh, broke down, yeah, uh, and I put that on Twitter, and that got me uh, a pretty swift. Hey, do you want to come on the show tomorrow morning? And and at that point, I I kind of figured where it would go, which was a lot of yelling. But but the point was to kind of their interview of Farrell to me was was in no way better than anything the beat writers had done. So it, it reeked to me of hypocrisy of ah the beat writers they don't want to ask the hard questions when in reality when presented with the same opportunity they did not do that. Sure. It was it was fantastic. It was it was really I don't know I I really enjoyed it and I I don't enjoy sports talk radio all that much. I mean my blood pressure was pretty. High. It was forty minutes of yelling. I didn't walk out of there with any like genuine animosity toward them, but it, it was definitely there was nothing fake about it, right? The, the there's there's a Facebook Live video of some of it somewhere where you, you can kind of see the uh, huh. uh, the the emotions and the hand gestures. I, I didn't flip them the bird, but I mean I'm 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 into it. Yeah. You know? No, it was great, and it, yeah, and I'll, I'll we'll put a link. I'll tweet out a link to it because it was it was fantastic. Can, what's the difference? I guess what's the because you covered the the Astros. You came in 2013 to the Chronicle, and uh, you went back yep. to Boston right before the 2016 season. So what's what what's been your experience? What's the difference between the media landscape in Houston and a a place like Boston? I was on. I did a podcast the other day with uh, one of the guys from Barstool Sports, who does a, a Boston-based podcast with a couple other guys, and, and started talking about this. And it's counterintuitive, but I would actually suggest that it is harder to be counter to what uh, Kirk and Callahan, that radio program, would would have you think. It's harder to be critical, I think, in a place like Houston, where you've got one newspaper. And one other outlet, which is MLB.com, covering the team. I think when you get to these smaller markets, you're on an island, right? When, you know, the years I was there were very interesting years. There was controversy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of positive development, too. But you know, a lot of the times, it's kind of 
you and that's it. It, 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 it almost became an us versus them type of thing, which is you know, unfortunate. But if, if you're going to do the job well, I believe you have to do it with a critical eye and a critical voice. And in Boston, criticism and almost over-the-top criticism is expected, whereas in Houston, it, it, to me, it certainly felt like quite the opposite. I, I said it on that podcast. I'll say it on this one. I, I never publicized this while I was in Houston, but Jim Crane stopped talking to me, and that is not the reason by any stretch of the imagination I left. The reason he stopped talking to me was because we wrote about his divorce, and uh. he felt his divorce was a personal matter, and in baseball, as we've seen with Frank McCord in San Diego, when you, when you own a major league baseball team, if you have a divorce, uh, it's it's a matter of public interest. What's going to happen to the team? And all we wrote was what was going to happen to the team. And uh, he said that it was going to be fine. And so far, that's proven true. But you know, in Boston, you, I don't think you'd find an owner uh, taking that stand because every single outlet would be writing about it. And you, you can kind of draw these parallels in all sorts of inst- instances where it's uh, you know it was kind of you're you're isolated and it, and it's it's a lesson in withstanding pushback and uh, but but there are benefits too you know i you you had much more time talking to players i i, I use the example that i had, i had not once this spring talked to chris sale one on one okay and if if he was in houston I, I guarantee you at some point i would have had a one on one with him by now probably a long sit down yeah you know there's just fewer media so there's a lot of differences, and I think they might play out differently than people quite realize. It's it's still so bizarre to me that <clears throat> that Houston, and I understand why, but that Houston's considered a small market team, given the size of the city and and, and what. But but what, it's I, I'm when I, when I you know I grew up there, and it was the Houston Post, and and there was the Houston Chronicle. That, that you know, with only one newspaper, I, I would imagine that that can be tough. You, you mentioned the the controversies around the Astros. What? Yeah. So I want to, what's your, what was your take as, or what was, if you, if you can talk about it, what was going on kind of behind the scenes with the Brady Aiken situation? Were you aware that there was a chance that the, that a deal wasn't going to get done or were you kind of, were, were you sitting there on deadline day like the rest of us constantly refreshing Twitter to see if he'd, if he was actually going to sign? Oh, I, I was totally sitting there, uh, refreshing and, and waiting. I I, uh, I remember being in the press box we were in Chicago uh, at the White Sox, and you know, it, it more came out after the fact about what had happened. The reality with that situation is, and I, and I was looking, for some reason I was looking at this the other day, Aiken went on a podcast, in, or he went on a radio program in San Diego sometime recently, and he was asked about the Astros, and he, and he said that the surgery was a coincidence, which uh, you know certainly the Astros would disagree with. <laughs> um, you know, my 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 whole thing with that is is that it was it was so incredibly complicated, and it it involved it, the, the final. I think it was basically the final piece I wrote on it was, was explaining why, unless somebody comes out at some point with some cold hard facts. Anything we're doing with the Aiken situation is more or less speculation. Sure. Now, you know, the Astros were silent at the time. You had Casey Close, who was vocal. You had Tony Clark, who was vocal. So that made news. That was, you know, when, when you have people, major uh, players, major people who are part of the situation speaking out, that, that ends up in the news. So it, it, to some degree, the Astros side wasn't told quite as much. That now that's certainly their choice, right. but 
you know, in my position, the thing I the thing I tell people in the industry when people ask me about that story, it's amazing how many people came out of that. Nobody was happy. There's no nobody involved with that was happy. Maybe now you could say the Astros are happy with Bregman, right? And and they should be, and they should be. But there was nobody who walked away from that and was like, wow. Evan Drellick's really doing a great job pushing our side of this thing. And, and you know, it, it, what, what, when you have such a bizarre kind of ugly situation and you're reporting on it, people, aren't, people don't like the outcome and people aren't going to like the stories. So that was, that was as unique a situation as I think anybody can find themselves in, be it from the player to the media to the, uh, to the team and so on. Yeah, I remember someone asked me for why my opinion matters. I don't know, but someone asked me like, "Who won in 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 the Astros and Brady Aiken saga?" And I'm like, "Nobody. Nobody looks good. Nobody got what they yeah. wanted." Um, you know, poor freaking Jacob Nix. You know, the was it the fifth or sixth round pick? You know, he he saw his deal go up, and I know he got a settlement <clears throat> later, but but nobody looked good. Did, are do the Astros, in your opinion, do a good job of controlling their own narrative, or do you think that because they they don't talk a whole lot. Like you don't you don't see a whole lot of of in depth interviews with with Jim Crane or with Jeff Luno. Does that help them or or does that actually hurt hurt them that they're not out there? Well, there, was, there is a time where they were out there, and and I think to some degree what might have been a uh, well intended attempt at, at some sort of transparency or really. Uh, buy-in. I, 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 I think it was very purposeful in the early years that they were out there explaining what they were doing, because if you're a fan, right, you you see the team going losing so many games, you want you need some sort of validation and, and understanding of what, what is this about? Why would I stomach this? But I think at a certain point, and I, and I believe they realized this, that they were being a little too vocal, and it, it was starting to come off as the smartest guys in the room type of Right feeling and and, and and it was creating resentment. The, the Astros in, in those years, in, in, the, in my time span there, are a really interesting case in perception versus reality. And, yes. and and you mentioned controlling the narrative. I think the Astros very much wanted to control the narrative. I think part of a objective reporter's job is to, <laughs> frankly, is not to let a team dictate exactly what it wants out there. Right? Sure. Nobody's going to want negative press, but uh, they were certainly conscious of the narrative, and, and and every team is. You know, this isn't one thing in talking to other writers throughout that time and, and since then is, is that you look at other markets where there's one one paper, maybe it's whatever, where it's a smaller market. These things crop up. This isn't uncommon, where you have pushback or you know disagreements or GMs unhappy with right whatever you know whatever you can kind of imagine it, it happens and and it happens in the major markets too and and not a lot of it will often get you know publicized like the specific moments of pushback oh we don't like this story we don't like that story that's just part of the function and and, right. and that's everywhere. And the one thing you said earlier about being a small market, you know, I don't, I don't look at Houston as a small market. I, I, I look at it as a, as a mid market, right? I, I think that's a little bit more. Yeah. Certain, but by going, yeah, just as a tech technicality. Yeah, because I mean, the, there is interest in the team, there, and there, and more, more so now. <clears throat> and I think that, you know, the, given the struggles that 
that the team had as far as with the terrible CSN Houston debacle and then with Brady Aiken. And it seems like, you know, the and, and attendance mounts and of course winning helps and, and the, the little run that they went on in 2015. Were you surprised or at what point did you think, okay, the, the Astros are a legitimate, they're legitimate contenders in, in 2015? Well, well, they got off to such a hot start. It was, and I think the question we were asking ourselves at the time was, is this real and is this sustainable? And, right. you know, it, it, it turned out, I remember thinking back to, to spring training of 2015, what my, what my outlook was, I, I, it certainly felt like a surprise that it happened quite as quickly as it did. Right. We had, we already had the sports illustrated cover of 2017. Right. So I, I don't think I sat there and said this team necessarily was going to be quite as good as they were, but I don't think it was out of the realm of possibility either. It, it, um, you had, you had a lot go right that year. Right. And then last year, you know, the last, last thing I covered with the team was spring training of, 16 last season and, and the, the start, the, well, the starting pitcher was one question and, and the, the kind of lack of any significant free agent move was another. And now look, the, look at what's happened this winter, at least kind of one half of that equation has been addressed. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that team was a, an exciting team to cover. It, it was, it was, it, it was fun. And I'll tell you, it was not, I, I, you know, people could probably make assumptions about why I left or, 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 I'm from the Northeast and all that, and that was part of it to be closer to family. But it was not because I did not enjoy covering that team. Uh, it, it was really there was so much going on, and so many cool storylines, and I, I, I enjoyed the city. It was it was really a question of professional ceiling, sure, and, and where could I go in the market and the problem. And we talk about it being a mid market. Well, there just aren't that many opportunities uh, to advance, basically. Yeah, and I don't think anybody. Anybody questioned why, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think anyone sort of looked at it as a view of, as, as abandonment or anything like that. So I, th- I think everyone, everyone who, who sort of had kind of followed you since you'd come from Boston in the first place sort of knew, knew what was up. So, so I don't think that was, I don't think that was the issue at all. What do you, is it, is it an Astros, Red Sox, ALCS? Oh man, wouldn't that be fun? I, I think it's, you know, and, and if, if David Price is hurt, you start to wonder how. I still think the Red Sox are a playoff team one way or the other, but that's a, a, a significant piece right there. But right, I, I the Astros need to go get a starting pitcher, right? I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking by by mentioning that. I, I, I imagine at least some in the fan base feel the same way. Yeah, I guess you can wait and see. Is McCullers healthy? Is Keuchel able to rebound? But you know, you make one big deadline move into the Astros, and, and you need good health on either end. Yeah, I, I, you know, look, I think. I, I'm trying to remember back to last year. It doesn't make a difference, but I think my my prediction actually was a Astros Red Sox ALCS. I think I had the Astros going to the World Series, so that didn't quite work out. But, <laughs> no, no. Uh, the, but yeah. yeah, it's totally. I think we're in that. I think we're in a time period now where, where last year, this year, next year, totally a, a viable outcome. Do so is one of the. I think there's a lot of, and this is where because I know you're you're busy at spring training and and all of that. Um, we'll let you go. The, I don't know who we is. I will let you go. Um, the, the, uh, what is, I think there's a decent amount of insecurity among, among Astros fans. And I think that has to do with just the, 
the PTSD of, of those rebuilding years. Is Do the Astros make waves on on a national level or especially up in Boston? I mean, you've got other, you know, you've got other teams to deal with, the Yankees and the Blue Jays and all that. Do, do the Astros make any waves at, at all in Boston? You know, I, I think about Carlos Correa and Mookie Betts sometimes, and I think it, it would be interesting, but to me, Correa's got a, a more established national profile. And and you can argue, based on the performance so far, that's not actually the way it should be right? Uh, because of last season. But, yeah, I think so. I, I think people... You know, hardcore baseball fans, and kind of, no matter what the city, you're kind of aware of what's going on. Sure. And when you have Altuve, you have kind of unique attention-grabbing players that make the Astros even more interesting than than, than the, the, the rebuilding plan and all the other things that have gone into it. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think there's there are there are Red Sox fans who are unaware of what's going on out there now. The, the Northeast bubble certainly exists, but I, I also think the bubble exists in any market to some degree. You, you, there, there's a level of self-interest and you kind of lose track of what's going on on the outside. Even for me personally, when I was in the West and now in the East, I have to remind myself sometimes, okay, just check up on what's going on with the other teams. You know, what's going on with the Yankees, what's going on with the Orioles. Yeah. Back there is with the Rangers. It, it's even for a writer, you know, I, I, there's a point I could have probably named you every single person on the 40 man roster, which doesn't sound like quite a feat, but I, you know, who knows how deep I could have gotten you on, on the 25 man of what, you know, some other team. I, I, I sometimes believe that fantasy baseball players actually might have a better working knowledge of what's going on all around the game. Sure than a beat writer would, right? Because it's a certain set of knowledge. It's a different set of knowledge in some ways that you need. And if you if you would ask, ask me to name, you know, 10 people, I don't think Jerry DePoto could name all 25 guys on his roster, on the on the Mariners roster, just because he's traded all of them over the past. I, I don't think this is an unfair example because it was in front of about eight different reports. It was totally on the record in a pregame session the other day with uh, Joe Girardi. And he was asked about the Red Sox in spring training, and he mentions Travis Shaw as being someone who impressed him. Travis Shaw is gone. Travis <laughs> Shaw is no longer on the Red Sox. And I don't, I don't even know if anybody even mentioned this because it was, it was harmless, right? There's no, there's no crime committed there. It's, 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 a, it's a momentary brain fart. Now, if it's a pennant race or if it's regular season, that's a little bit more strange. Right. But it, it just kind of goes to show you even our tribal manager of, of – the Red Sox, uh, of the, their, of their our tribal, can, can forget uh, personas. <laughs> um, so, what do you have going on? I know you're at spring training. Uh, what's like? What, what's the rest of your day look like? What are you doing? So, so this is one of the advantages to going to the Herald. Well, advantages or disadvantages depends how you want to look at it. Uh, in Houston, it was the vast majority of the workload fell to me, and, and Jesus Ortiz was there at the time, and he would pick up a little bit of it. But I was in spring training, I'd say, I don't know if it was six weeks, maybe five of the six weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the Herald, one of the, few tra- one of the few outlets left, it's really just the Herald and the Globe and a couple of the New York outlets that still send two writers to every game. So in spring training, we always have at least two people down there. So it's kind of a rotation in and out. I'm actually right now back up in Boston. Oh, nice. I'm going back down, going back down later this week to Florida. So it's it's strange. I wasn't there at the start of spring training. You know, it, 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 kind of going back to that market difference. When you're 
when you're the beat writer at the Houston Chronicle, you are the guy, right? It's you and Brian McTaggart, and yeah. it's it's just a different dynamic. Everybody, even down to the to the kind of staff people, know you. And and in Boston, it's just you're you're a little bit more at arm's length. And and I and it kind of goes back to my original point where where I actually think it can truly be more difficult to be a critical reporter in Houston than it than it, it would be in Boston. Yeah, when you're seeing everybody on a on a daily basis, uh, did did you get any? And this is, I swear this is my last one. Did did you talk uh, about? I, I, I got time. Don't worry about uh, You mentioned Jim Crane like stopped talking to you. Did was there ever an uncomfortable situation, especially with a, a team as young as the Astros were when when you were when you were with the team? Did anyone ever get? I mean, pissed off or or you know upset about about what they felt was unfair sure. treatment? When when that's totally normal oh, yeah. for what you would be doing. All right, can you name names? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'd rather not give the name. There's no, but I'll tell you. I, there, there was an instance. How, how do I tell the story without giving it away? <laughs> there, there was something. It, 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 it involved a player going back into the clubhouse during a game. It, it was. It, it didn't even. It was a perception of a player going back into the clubhouse during the game to have a snack. And that wasn't even what the story was. But the, the, but this player and a couple other players were worried that people were going to take what was ultimately a very lighthearted, meaningless anecdote, a bit of color in a game story, um, the wrong way that people were going to kind of twist it. And nobody nobody did, nobody cared. But what what I kind of... You know, I tried to emphasize earlier, these, those little things, they happen all the time. Sure. I, I, it's not like every day, but, the, but, but there are constant moments with public relations, with players, with front office, with whoever, and it doesn't matter what market you're in, that somebody's going to be like, oh, I didn't like that. And, and you know what? The, the thing I always say is, and what, what reporters I, I, I hope universally appreciate is, just say it. The, the worst thing that can happen is, is a passive aggressive approach to it. And, and that's, uh, you know, I, it, not being able to talk to Jim Crane, I can't point to one point where that fundamentally hurt me. Would I prefer to have been able to talk to him? Sure. But if it's, a, if it's a distinction between doing what the job entails and having the owner talk to you, you, you choose doing the job properly. Right. Um, but given a choice of Jim Crane simply ignoring me and not even saying to me, I'm not talking to you, uh, versus making that explicitly clear his stance, <laughs> I would prefer the explicitly clear stance. So, yeah, there's always, there's always little behind-the-scenes things like that that, um, yeah, I guess, I guess from, from afar, they probably are more interesting than I, than I, than I, I, I get the interest in them, I do. But, you know, if you, start, if you start talking about every single one of them, a lot of them are meant to be private conversations, right? Sure. Uh, when, when you work those things out. Well, <clears throat> appreciate your time. It was uh, good to talk to you. Uh, nice to have you on the show. Hopefully we can get together again in October uh, to preview an Astros Red Sox uh, ALCS. So, uh, Evan Drellick, y- your friend and mine. And uh, <laughs> be sure to follow him on Twitter. I'll tweet out the link to that awesome uh, sports talk radio 
bit. Um, it's fair warning. It's 40 minutes of yelling. I mean, if you can get through that, uh, it's really uh, kudos to anybody who could actually sit through it because it's it's, uh, it's it's a lot of yelling. It's it's anxiety inducing and it's wonderful. So and and it was it was great. So uh, thank you so much for for uh, coming on the show. So have a good uh, rest of your spring break. Uh, safe trip back down to Florida later this week. Thanks for having me. That is one thing I love more than getting my pitch over the plate. And that is getting over this plate in Casa Ole. It's like a fiesta in Casa Ole. Casa Ole, fresh today, every day. Get a free child's play, we'll use ticket stuff from any Astros game. Casa Ole.